I often talk about how critical it is to establish purpose, vision, and mission for an organization because when that is well understood, you can align the entire organization on it to achieve a greater outcome versus simply a result. But then my interview with Rudy Dieberink presented a totally different insight that I'd never heard before. And it talks about building informal channels of communication, relationship building, and trust. And out of that, the organizations that you interface with, your customers, and even your internal organization, they become advocates for your brand and you become a brand that they can trust. Talk about the amplification of that more so than any marketing organization. And this is tremendous insight you do need to listen to, sharing a little bit of a soundbite from the program and welcome you to listen to the entire show. The user or the, the consumer of the, of the goods is such an ambassador for that company that you realize, okay, why is that not possible in an industrial B2B environment? Um, and the first time I realized it was uh, when I was working with one of the large multinationals on a global basis. And I found out that they had internal networks uh, that were incredibly powerful and they shared information within those networks. Yeah? And what we found out suddenly was that if we were able to provide value in that network, um, they would talk about us. And they would actually uh, globally spread the word, hey, go work with this company XYZ. And that was for us an opening of, hey, we, if we do this a smart way, you can actually really uh, change the way companies think about you as a supplier. Welcome to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I'm Deb Coviello, and as the drop-in CEO, I drop into businesses and assume the CEO role to enhance the human element and increase the results they achieve. This podcast is about bringing you conversations with expert guests who have achieved their greatest results built on a strong foundation of purpose, values, and elevating people. If you're a business leader, entrepreneur, or even just getting started in business, Join us as we build the skills you need to achieve your goals. Hello, I am Deb Coviello, founder of Illumination Partners, and I want to thank you again for joining us on another episode of the Drop-In CEO podcast, where I get to speak to amazing leaders and share their insights with you. Please, if you like this podcast, please rate and review and share with others so we can continue to bring you great programming. And it is my honor today to share the mic with my fantastic guest, Rudy Dieperink. Rudy is the CEO of Brookside Flavors and Ingredients. He has many years of experience working in small, medium, and large companies in the flavor and food ingredients industry. And before joining Brookside Flavors and Ingredients in October 2020, Rudy was CEO and president of Friesland Campina Ingredients North America, one of the largest dairy cooperatives in the world. It is during his career, Rudy focused on developing new markets, improving innovation, and drastically improving profitability. He has done this by emphasizing company-wide customer obsession, and we're going to go into that a little bit more, increasing new product introductions, and building strong performance-oriented cultures. It is his belief that being able to stay relevant and fast-changing 
is necessary to embrace the change and excel in these areas. So Rudy, it is my pleasure to welcome you onto the Drop-In CEO podcast. Thank you, Deb, for that introduction and for being on the podcast. Appreciate it. Yeah, so I am excited to have this conversation with you because you and I have transcended the industry, never actually working at the same company at the same time, but we've circled around IFF, Tastepoint, um, you know, Givadon and Quest. So we have similar experiences, a tremendous industry. I'm grateful for working for such great organizations. But now we meet because as a CEO, this conversation is important to me because I serve and help small and medium-sized companies. And I think your insights in how you help organizations perform at their best is tremendously helpful. So for our listeners, please share a little bit about yourself personally, your business journey, as well as the work that you're doing now. Yeah, I'm originally uh, Dutch. So I grew up in the Netherlands uh, when I was in high school, uh, decided I did not want to follow the normal path uh, in my uh, educational career at that time. And that was typically that you went to the university in the Netherlands, and I decided to actually study abroad. And that could be either, at that time, it was either England or Germany or somewhere else. And it ended up being in the U.S. So I went to the U.S., studied here for several years, and decided to stay. Looking back, definitely being one of the best choices that I made. Uh, love the U.S., love the environment here. It's one of those things that when you look back, you realize that you probably had no clue what you were running into. Uh, but at the same time, that's where I get my energy from. So that's why I did it. And what you see in my career is that uh, when I joined at that time, one of the first flavor companies that I joined was uh, Quest International. Quest was a uh, mid-sized company. I joined them in their marketing department. That was still up and coming in those days. I had an MBA and the MBA was very much consumer marketing focused industrial marketing really didn't exist that much. And that was for me, actually one of those opportunities that you could create your own role in the organization and expand that over time. I started on the savory side, worked in dairy, worked in beverages, confection, alcoholic beverages, you name it, I've pretty much done it. As I moved on, the industry, just like the fragrance industry, in those days, really started looking at consumer insights, what made consumers tick, why did they buy certain flavors. And we became from being a pretty much a supply chain driven organization, like most of those industrial companies were, to becoming much more consumer and marketing oriented. And that totally clicked for me. Those principles you can actually use in the food industry as a whole, the food ingredients industry, I should say. And so that's also why I was hired by Fisicampina later on, because they were a supply chain organization that wanted to move more towards the marketing side and to become much more customer oriented. And so that's how I started my career in the marketing side uh, with a, uh, in the U.S. it was a small flavor company in those days. And then obviously over the years, it grew significantly. Uh, and I stayed with them for, for about 17, 18 years. It was a good run. So that's amazing. There's a couple of nuggets in there before we go into your journey, because I think sometimes your backstory is as interesting as your career journey. So you left the Netherlands to go into the unknown. There's got to be some courage or bravery there, knowing you want to go in a certain direction, but really not knowing what you're getting yourself into. Is that a theme or something that's common to who you are going into the unknown, dropping into a company? Is that who you are as an individual in general? 
I like the challenge of a new environment, yes. Uh, so I like the cultural experiences in other countries, and I like that within companies as well. So typically, the culture that I like to work in is, is challenging, it's performance-oriented, but it also pushes the boundaries. I could typically never work in a company that is selling commodities, for instance, because there's not a lot of room to really push those boundaries because you don't have the margin to operate in, right? So for me, it's actually the higher value ingredients allow that opportunity. It's typically also trying to find with your customer how you can find the value for them and obviously for the company where you're working. And that kind of interaction, that kind of exchange is where I thrive. Yes. You know, it's interesting, this concept, it's bringing together so many things for me, because you talk about so many uh, of the ingredient companies are simply part of the supply chain and a commodity. But if you start thinking from a customer focus, customer centric perspective, you start getting closer to what are their thoughts? What are their emotions? What are their trends? What are their concerns about health and wellness? And by partnering with them, you start evolving your portfolio of what you offer to them, you start creating more value and then moving yourself, I suppose, away from being simply a commodity to being a partner and a valuable part of their future. I think that's what I'm seeing is what you create and value as well. Yeah, I totally agree. The the thought I always have is that what you want to achieve is really that the company that you work with actually talks so much about you as a supplier because of the value that you add that they almost internally sell you internally instead of having to sell yourself. There's some examples outside of the industry that we operate in where the user or the, the consumer of the, of the goods is such an ambassador for that company that you realize, okay, why is that not possible in an industrial B2B environment? And the first time I realized it was uh, when I was working with one of the large multinationals on a global basis, and I found out that they had internal networks that were incredibly powerful, and they shared information within those networks. And what we found out suddenly was that if we were able to provide value in that network, they would talk about us, and they would actually globally spread the word, hey, go work with this company XYZ. And that was for us an opening of, hey, we, if we do this a smart way, you can actually really change the way companies think about you as a supplier. That's a really key point there that I'm picking up in that any supplier can provide a particular flavor or fragrance or solution. That's the commodity and not to belittle the value of the marketing, the insights, the flavorists, the perfumers, they're tremendously talented and technical. It's not what you produce, but it's how you operate. And so evolving and developing a network within the industry, within the clients, the customers is really the key to success in order to, like you say, build the advocacy for you. And then you become memorable and I guess part of the fabric of, of their, you're always top of mind. That's correct. Yep. So I'm curious about that. So it's very customer focus, external focus. It's marketing yourselves amongst peers and the industry versus the competition. What work do you have to do within within the organization? So yes, let's turn our eyes towards the customer. But what do you do within the organization to 
shift the mindset in terms of being very customer focused versus internally focused on the day-to-day operations? Yeah. Typically what it means is what I at least use, particularly in the beginning of this journey, is that you're very clear about what the customer focus means. So I use the word obsession because it has a a meaning to it that really stresses that you are thinking about it 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yeah, that's the obsessive part to it. There's a drive behind it that really makes it different from just being customer focused. Customer focus by itself is fine, but an obsession is a much stronger word, right? By the way, when I introduced that, it also meant that some people said, yeah, but if you're obsessive, that has a negative connotation and said, yeah, but let's use it in a positive way here. But the point being, it's a verbal part to really make clear to the organization that this is different than just being customer service oriented, the obsession part. That means that you do it in all your activities. And so typically they say, okay, customer service, as I know, all departments do it. But you have to really be clear about what that means. Uh, You have to really articulate that because most employees, if they have not been part of this, they struggle conceptually grasping what it means for their particular job. And so my style very much when I enter a new company is that it's that vision or creating the vision, first of all, but also really going deep into the organization and having the personal conversations to make it tangible, to explain it and not have it some being somewhat being of a theoretical concept, but making it really tangible. This is what it means for you if we do it this way. The moment you do it, some employees immediately get it. And you always have, of course, a group that will never get it. But in general, the middle group that struggles with it a little bit, they are frequently the ones that if once you have them on board, they will love it because there's a pride factor to it. There is a, uh, it is a really emotional attachment because they don't want to fail. It also means that if you go deeper into that organization and you explain that you really work with them to make it tangible to the customer. And once that feedback comes in, it's hard to let go for them because they are now part of it. It's a, for me, the critical part is very much that you make it concrete and not leave it at a theoretical level. What I really like about this concept that you've mentioned here is that it's not just a one and done. You do a PowerPoint, you cascade it through the ranks, and you expect everybody to get it. You may get it as a leader. Some of the early adopters may get it, but not everybody will. And so you have that misalignment. I really like the one-to-one approach. What does it mean for you so that people can internalize it? And I think the other thing that's really helpful is that it's not people being resistant. They don't get it. Sometimes those people are the ones that are excellent at executing the strategy and the tactical day-to-day. And if you shift their mindset a little bit, they just need that time to understand and adopt it and then convert it back into their ways of working. And then they will execute against that vision and that customer obsession. Absolutely true. What I learned, um, it's, this came from a learning. It was not something uh, that, that I figured out uh, from the beginning. I literally in one of my jobs realized that the way we were approached was not clear enough. And so exactly the way you describe it was a learning for us. If we don't become specific in what we mean and take the time to explain it, 
and to go deeper into the organization. Top management, senior management typically got it. And middle management and, and lower into the organization struggled with it because it was never really made tangible for them. And that is actually a learning for me that was that happened a few years ago that was absolutely critical. Otherwise, it would never work. We saw the results. You know, I share a similar experience because, again, very smart people put together a business strategy and will cascade it. But I found when I was the head of quality, I actually had to take the high-level strategy and then convert it to what did it mean to be the head of quality and what were our objectives and then align the activities that would support not only our objective, but that of the organization. And once you do that, and you're right, it's an investment in time, an investment in the people, but do it now. Otherwise, it becomes an expense when people are not on board. <laughs> um, but I'd like to switch this a little bit for you. You know, I've seen you, I think we've talked about you drop into organizations, you are potentially a turnaround leader. And, you know, I want to maybe know of a story or an experience that you had where you had to drop into a team or a new organization, and maybe they were struggling. What was your approach to getting that organization to become a high performance group and achieve the results? I had a job a few years ago where when I started my job, I was told everything was fine. And I had been there about two months and realized that it was not. One of the factories was had a record of inconsistent performance. What that meant for me was that I literally spent, I was not supposed to spend any time there, which of course is, is somewhat of a stretch anyway. But what I did end up doing is I was pretty much every week there in that factory uh, building the team. And I realized very much that they had never had a plan to figure out how to become consistently profitable and have a solid performance. And what we did was um, I changed the plant manager rather quickly. That, that, uh, that was not an easy decision because the person had been there for quite some time, but at the same time, it was a necessary decision. After that, I built uh, the team with the new plant manager who became the operations director and really focused on laying out the plan about how to do it. It had multiple levels. It was very much around skill level of employees. It was how to work with the union. It was um, how to change the product mix, how to go from just being a domestic supplier to an international supplier, how to deal with a capital investment that needed to be approved. And so we got all those factors done. About three years later, it was actually the most profitable factory within the organization. And the team was absolutely critical. Um, it's always the team. And the interesting part, fun part, was actually, even though I had to spend a huge amount of time there, it was unexpected. The enjoyment we got out of it was tremendous because the pride that people took in the products was tremendous. The work ethic that they had was unbelievable. It is the team. And uh, at the end of the day, you're providing the guidance. I think you need to make sure that they realize that you're willing to roll up your sleeves and, and do work yourself. I think that's a learning that I've had pretty much everywhere. Uh, the moment they see you as too far removed, it's not going to work. But in this case, it was very much a team turnaround. And like I said, it became the most consistently profitable factory in, uh, in the organization. So yeah, that is, that's an example. The last thing you just said there about consistently, because sometimes a leader can say, okay, this quarter we made our numbers so we can high five and walk away. But, you know, then the next quarter, the situation changes, 
the customer's buying patterns may change. And then you go through this cycle of, well, we didn't sustain that gain and we got to get that improvement team going. So I think the sustainability is really critical. And you said another thing over and over again, you talk about pride, and that is actually one of the compass points in my book that I'm writing, The CEO's Compass, is pride. Now, I'm going to ask you a question, but my definition of pride, it's the intersection between the human and their intellectual property. When we ask people, what are their gifts? What are their unique talents? What have they done really well from the past? And acknowledge that and bring that forward acknowledging the pride is one of those things that can help you get them back on track. So how do you define pride? There's an example that was for me an eye-opener a few years ago. We had a management team in the Netherlands that was running the uh, infant nutrition business for Fusion Campina. One of the things we wanted to do was create a common purpose. And the common purpose was what we did was we invited employees from all over the world. There was over 3,000 in those days. We asked them what made them proud to come to work. Why were they coming to work? Why did they enjoy their job? And the interesting thing was we had a huge number of responses. And there was one person, an operator in one of the plants, who literally wrote out on a piece of paper, I come to work because of me and our products, babies can grow up healthy. We looked at that as a management team and said, that's it. And for me, that pride, coming back to your question, the emotional connection to making a product that has a trust factor for a population that is very vulnerable, and it needs to be protected, immediately became, for all of us, like, wow, this this is an insight that we had never thought about. And so that emotional connection, so pride, for me, I always look at it from, okay, are you willing to share this with your your mom? Yeah? Is is this, is something like this, what you're going to talk about to your friends, your family, your closest, right? Because if you don't, it probably doesn't hit that factor. So it's not quite answering your definition part, but for me, it's very much an emotional dimension to it. You know, I sincerely appreciate that. And I think every leader, if they ever have a moment where they can see pride or see an employee in a proud moment, you know you've left a lasting impact. Your work is almost done. And I'll share a quick story We had some issues in a fragrance plant where error-proofing to assure we don't have defects that pass on to the customer was really important. And so we were creating training videos. I was videotaping. I was videoing a supervisor, and he's explaining why it was important to follow the process a certain way. And then we saw an employee inching closer and inching closer to where we were videotaping. And we looked at them, and he said, do you want to be interviewed for this particular error-proofing process? And they said, yes. And the moment we asked them the question, tell us about this process, not only did he say, here's the process I follow to make sure that I pour the right ingredient, but if I don't do it this way, this is the impact I could hurt my customer, and we don't want to do that. So this is why I follow that process. And talk about almost a parent with a child being so proud that they get it, the importance of what they're doing and the impact on others. It's a beautiful moment. Every leader should see that or experience that at some point. Amazing. (laughs) You know, I want to think about, you know, we all like to leave a lasting impact. You're an experienced leader, a CEO, you go into organizations, 
you help give the people the tools they need to succeed. Sometimes you have to change the people, but you also want to help and change them. Succession planning, you have to think about then the people that might eventually replace you. When you look at the people in your organization, what are some tips or tricks or things they should be thinking about as maybe you're developing the future leaders that will replace you in the organization? Yeah, Deb, that's a good question. What I have seen that I think is critical in some of these key roles, uh, whether it's mine, but it doesn't have to just be mine. It can also be at senior level in general. It's a little bit of a cliche these days, but we continue to focus on the the hard skills, the requirements you need to have for the job. The few mentors that I've had in my career, I would say some of them probably weak on the hard skills, but they were some of the best leaders. What they brought was an insight in how people work, how you can lead them and manage them in a way that actually even in the toughest situations, made them feel comfortable. I always look at at a bank account. It's a goodwill bank account. And the bank account needs to be there in order for employees to go to the next level in the next in the really tough times. So if the bank account is depleted, which if you follow the really hardcore management principles, it can be. And so that balance between how to make sure that employees really find themselves rewarded, uh, appreciated, but also willing to go the extra mile, for me, comes down to that goodwill bank account. The really good leaders in the organization know how to do that, know how to make sure it's full so that they can use it at the times when they need it. And let's face it, business is about uncertainty. It's about managing risk. And you know it's going to happen at some stage. Nobody predicted COVID. And the companies that had the bank accounts at full or certainly in that direction are probably better off than the ones that didn't because employees had to go the extra mile. And so how you balance that, I think, is one of those factors that very few people talk about. From my perspective, it's a critical point to how you manage your employees going forward. There's been a few of my mentors that some of them had it and some of them didn't have it. And that frequently was the difference between how they were being perceived and and how employees work with them. You know, that's a beautiful insight. And I think that's probably the best nugget or piece of information we get from this interview. I've had mixed experiences where growing up in my career, yes, I had good managers and leaders, but never really any mentors ones that I could model their behavior. I just, you know, learned how to do my job. But then I had the good fortune of observing a leader since I've been in my own business. And again, a flavor company in the middle of a pandemic, even in adversity of certain situations, the people worked so hard because the leader had their back. They could trust the leader with their personal situations, the challenges of the job. They always rolled up their sleeves and helped out. And Once they got through the crisis, I think the leader left a lasting impact and the people felt respected. Mm -hmm. So it makes me very emotional too when you see great leadership like that and sound advice for the ones that are up and coming, create that bank account. It'll pay back at some point. 
This has been a fantastic interview. Before I bring this to a close, and I just first of all want to thank you for your leadership insights. I so often want to understand what it is like to be a CEO of a company. What are your wisdom, your challenges? What have you learned so others can benefit? But if there were any last closing thoughts for anybody listening, whether it's people in in your company, in the industry, what would be some of those closing thoughts that they should think about? The industry is going through a huge amount of change like most industries are, right? For us being active in it, the the changes are accelerating still and they will continue to be. And we will see some innovations over the next few years that we can't even imagine at this stage yet. There's some companies working on it. And so how we operate in that area and how we prepare ourselves for that is, I think, the next not obstacle, but the opportunity. It can be an obstacle, but it depends on how you grab it, right? And so that's the opportunity. And so I think those companies that even the, even the smaller ones, how they prepare themselves for it as an opportunity, it's going to be quite a different environment than it has been in the past. So this is an example where marketing may actually not work because it's so far out, but certainly how we read those technologies and what's coming down the pike will be a, a very, very interesting time I actually think it's a great time to be in this industry. So anybody who has never heard of it or is not aware of what's going on, I think this is a great time to go and uh, and look at it and, and join it if you can. Great insight. The new essential skill is agility and rapid change. That's the only way that you're going to survive. And it can be quite exciting versus just staying in the status quo. Rudy, you've been an amazing guest. I sincerely appreciate this interview. If people wanted to learn more about the work you do or yourself, how can they connect with you? Yeah, so uh, my email is rdeeperink at brooksideflavors.com. And that's probably the best way to do it. Okay, wonderful. I'm grateful to know you. And I do wish you continued success in your leadership at Brookside. And thank you so much for being an amazing guest. Thank you. Thank you, Deb. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to the Drop-In CEO Podcast. I hope you are inspired by our conversation and can apply what you heard to your business or career goals. For more information about our consulting or coaching services, please visit my website at dropinceo.com or visit our Drop-In CEO Facebook group to continue the conversation. Now go out, lead, inspire, and achieve your goals.